Welcome to InfoSecurity Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights, topical debate, and expert interviews from the information and cybersecurity world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this November episode of the InfoSecurity Magazine podcast. My name is Beth Mondral, and after a quick message from our sponsor, I will be joined by our news reporter, Kevin Poirot. This episode is sponsored by Sophos. With Sophos Managed Detection and Response, you get cybersecurity delivered as a service. Now, AI has been the talk of this month, and Kevin, can you believe that we're coming up to a year since ChatGPT was actually released and let out into the wild? Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like one year ago, we barely heard about uh, OpenAI, and now it's just a household name that everyone knows about, even my mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's having conversations around the dinner table about AI, how it's going to change the world, um, take people's jobs. But um Recently, in um, Bletchley Park in England, global leaders got together to discuss how AI will shape our future. So against that backdrop, in this episode, we've got two great interviews for our listeners as we take a deep dive into AI following that AI Safety Summit and the various announcements that have been made by governments around the world, tech companies and industry bodies alike. So we wanted to give you everything from the what actually happened at that AI summit and some of the announcements to a deep dive into what it means for you, our listeners in the cybersecurity world. So we'll be hearing later from Matt Roach, who heads up KPMG's International Information Integrity Institute, I4, which is a global knowledge and experience sharing forum from senior information security leaders so he's quite plugged into what our security leaders are talking about when it comes to AI and then Kevin I know you're going to speak to Rob van der Veer from the Open Web Application Security Project about how they're calling for practical AI security standards but before we hear from our great speakers Kevin you covered the event extensively. Um, what do you think were some of the biggest announcements made? Well, I think one of the biggest ones is probably this uh, Bletchley Declaration. Uh, so Bletchley Declaration is a, is an agreement that's been signed by uh, 28 countries, and they're all vowing to promote responsible AI. It's quite a top-level one. There, there was not much technical details shared during this announcement, but uh, it's certainly something uh, that we're going to see how it unfolds in the future. Yeah, and I think that was the whole kind of thing about um, the AI Safety Summit was that collaborative coming together of governments, different nations working towards a common goal, I guess. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the first time we're seeing this around uh, AI security and safety. Now that the high level people have have be have talked, now it's it's gonna it's gonna be time for for getting into the details, getting into the the practicalities of what it means to promote responsible AI and to to maybe put together policies, government policies around that. Yeah. 
But there was a little bit of, uh, I guess, regulatory one-upmanship because one of the biggest announcements that happened that week um, actually happened before the summit began, which was the um, Biden executive order on safe and secure AI. And this had a variety of elements. Um, but for our cyber audience, it like particularly it established an advanced cybersecurity program to develop AI tools and to fix vulnerabilities in critical software. Um, you covered that as well and kind of comparing with what the UK announced. What were your kind of takeaways from the US announcement and I guess US Vice President Kamala Harris's um, presence at the AI Safety Summit. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting Interesting because uh, both the UK and the US have uh, launched their AI Safety Institute. From the announcements that were made, uh, it sounds like the missions are similar but quite different as well. So the US uh, AI Safety Institute uh, is going to be led by NIST, the, the US National Institute of, uh, of Technology and Innovation. It's going to be tasked with the mission uh, of coming up with, with new standards around AI security, whereas I feel like the, the UK uh, AI Safety Summit Safety Institute, sorry, uh, is more has been more um, tasked with with uh, something like trying to uh, anticipate the existential risks of AI. So we'll see how these two institutes uh, are gonna are gonna um, get their mission done. But uh, and they they've all already uh, said that they're gonna obviously um, collaborate. You can see that the 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 wordings are quite different. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you mentioned there about like the existential risk of AI, because that was definitely something that the Elon Musks of the AI Safety Summit were talking about. Was there anything else from the US that's kind of noteworthy? There were a few uh, announcements made by uh, Kamala Harris uh, at uh, Bletchley Park. Uh, one that really caught my attention uh, was that she announced new draft policy guidance on the US government's use of AI. Uh, and that included a pledge to incorporate responsible practices in government development, procurement and use of AI. So uh, we can see that uh, with the, the Biden's executive order and now these announcements, we can see that the, the US government is really, really working on, on its approach, its government approach to AI. Yeah, but of course, um, the summit was a way for the UK to kind of flex its own muscles and show its leadership in the development of responsible AI. Um, but before we get on to what the specific UK announcements were, a quick message from our sponsor. Free up IT and security staff to focus on business enablement with 24-7 ransomware and breach protection services. It's like having your own dedicated security operations center, featuring expert-led threat hunting, full-scale instant response capabilities, and a service customized to your specific needs. Best of all, Sophos MDR is compatible with the cybersecurity tools you already have. No need to rip and replace, and far less expensive than building your own security operations center. So onto those um, UK kind of focused announcements. Um, what did you pick out from um, the British side of things, Kevin? You mean apart from the fact that uh, the British Prime Minister did an interview with Elon Musk, that is? <laughs> yeah, that was um, interesting. Um, I kind of was reading some of the main like 
news media headlines around that and um I think some people kind of thought the whole event was him maybe auditioning for a future job in tech but I guess that will be to be determined but in terms of um what's relevant to our audience um in terms of some of those announcements that were made Kevin Yes, so uh, I think one of the the, the big mission uh, for the UK government with this summit was also to show leadership, uh, leadership in AI development. Uh, we know that, uh, for example, DeepMind, which is now Google DeepMind, uh, started in the UK, but also not just uh, not just AI development per se, but also AI safety now because it's a big topic of 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 this year, uh, and and maybe trying to uh, mitigate the risks of AI. So uh, obviously uh, the fact that uh, the Bletchley Declaration has been signed uh, in the UK, and also this new AI safety institute that the UK uh, has uh, has announced. Yeah, the UK is trying to show that it's one of the leaders in in promoting AI safety. We'll see how it it plays out uh, in the future, but uh, but it's definitely one of the things that they were trying to do. But but the, the summit's motto was also uh, on collaboration. Uh, obviously, this Bletchley Declaration uh, included. 28 countries, as we said, uh, and these countries in- included the US, uh, the UK, obviously, and also a few countries in the EU, but also China and some countries in, in Africa and the Middle East uh, and and Brazil. So um, we can see that uh, a lot of countries have come together at least to 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 at the high level. It's not the only the only announcements, the only collaborative announcements that has been made during the summit. Um, it actually the, the the at the end of the of this uh, of this summit, um, the UK has announced that eight AI companies, including some of the the most uh, the most um, known the most well known companies uh, developing generative AI, uh, they agreed to let several governments test their future models before deployment. So that's something that uh, that has not been uh, seen or that has not been done uh, in the past. So we'll see how how it works out. But um, but that's that's definitely one of the highlights of the of the summit. And and finally, um, I can't really talk about the summit without mentioning that uh, many AI and security experts uh, on social media and 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 elsewhere have uh, criticized it for being too high level, uh, among other criticisms. Uh, so we'll see if if it actually if this summit actually starts something, and and we'll see like more uh, practical actions uh, taken in the future. But uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, not everything was was great and amazing, uh, at least uh, according to some of the experts. Yeah, I think it's definitely it's it's the first of many. Um, obviously, we know that there's going to be um, a summit in France and then a virtual summit in South Korea. So maybe that's what we'll see if those ones take that kind of high level approach as well. If they do, that might not really sit well with a lot of people. But um, great to have that kind of background on the key things that happened during the summit and um, some of that analysis as well. Now we're going to head over to our interview with Matt Roach, who is plugged into what cybersecurity leaders are saying about AI and what their concerns and considerations are and what they were saying about the AI summit. So let's hear from Matthew now. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. 
Um, as head of the I4 cybersecurity leaders community, which is the world's longest running um, cybersecurity leadership community, I understand it was um, founded in the same year um, that the first Top Gun um, was released, um, which kind of gives you an idea of the age of it for our listeners. Um, what do you think the impact of the AI Security Summit will be on those cybersecurity leaders? So I think firstly, it's great that the government and, um, and regulators are taking the advent of AI seriously and are recognising the challenges as well as the advantages. Um, it's to bring the, the great minds that they did at the summit together, really highlighted the way the different aspects and the impact that AI will have across so many different parts of our society and lives. Um, but to focus in on cybersecurity, I think it's going to give our CISOs yet another thing to worry about. Um, because the, who is going to make sure that the AI um, tools are maintained, sharp enough, doing what we want them to do and generating the business um, impacts without creating additional risks um, to the businesses that are using them. Do you think the um, AI summit and any of the declarations that were made around it kind of addressed cybersecurity concerns in particular? Yeah, I think it's a case question of watching this space because I think as the tools mature and AI becomes more prevalent, um, it, there's going to be risks in different areas. I think one of the risks that um, perhaps went under the radar at the event is um, the cybersecurity skills gap, uh, which is something that cybersecurity leaders talk about all the time. And now we're going to be expected to have um, people there to solve the AI uh, vulnerabilities that will no doubt emerge. Um, where are we going to get those um, those clever people from? Um, so I think that's going to be a challenge. Um, I think there's going to be challenge around liability. Um, so little choice at the moment in AI tool sets that are out there. Um, so many of the vendors that are producing AI uh, enabled tools are, um, are very keen that the liability sits with the uh, customer. Um, and I think also um, there is a risk around uh, over-reliance on AI. So where we start to use these tools day in, day out, does that de-skill us in other areas? And I think those are the kind of areas that um, were spoken about at the summit, but I've yet to see how those risks are, are dealt with. Yeah, it's so interesting that you um, say about the skills gap there, because um, Info Security magazine covers that extensively. And um, a couple of things that are kind of worth picking up is um, ISC2 have re released their um, 2023 um, kind of state of the workforce report. That cyber skills gap globally is now up to 4 million um, professionals, uh, which is a eye-watering number. And ISACA, um, they've also recently um, released a survey of 2,300 digital trust professionals where many of them say they don't have the skills or they require additional training. Companies don't have policies in place. And the people I spoke to there commented that, again, kind of with what you were saying, there's going to be a need for people to monitor these policies, monitor how AI is being implemented. So I think that's such an interesting point um, that you pick up there. If we think about the CISOs and the cybersecurity practitioners that are kind of part of your group, um, what are the biggest challenges they're talking to you about and in some of your um, conversations with them 
that they're facing with the rapid adoption of AI, because we know that AI is being adopted in many organizations for many different reasons. So what are what are those challenges that they're really facing? So I'll split that in half, that question, if I may. I would look at um, what are the challenges that uh, the businesses are facing, in which case it is exactly that is the AI adoption, and particularly around the governance. Many of our members are in regulated industries, and how do companies prepare themselves to comply with uh, regulatory governance? How do they prove that the AI is doing what they think it's doing? Um, for now at adoption, but also later in life as vulnerabilities are, are announced. And then, of course, from a cybersecurity perspective, how are the opposition leveraging AI? Uh, we've seen cases such as Worm GPT and others um, enabling our opposition to go faster, quicker, and um, may it be more, can produce more um, deceptive uh, business email compromise uh, lures and phishing um, attacks. So CISO's got their work cut out to keep a, a, on top of the AI enabled tools. Are they delivering what they say they should be on the t on the tin? But also, what are the opposition doing, and how does it um, help the um, the cyber criminals produce essentially unique pieces of malware as the code is um, obfuscated using AI techniques? Yeah, I think the um, the phishing emails is something that really um, stands out to me as something that has, we said it could happen that the emails would become more sophisticated and they have, um, which is a challenge for everyone. But someone told me they thought that, well, if you've got good email cyber defences, it shouldn't matter whether the email was written by an AI bot or not, um, it should be picked up anywhere. I don't know whether you kind of what you think on that. I would think that if we were living in a utopia where all phishing emails were picked up and didn't get through to the end user, I would agree with you, but I don't think we're quite there yet. It's an arms race. So as, as the tools may um, be sufficient in 2023, we need to start thinking about what the tools will evolve to meet the threats of 2024, five and six and beyond. Um, so no, so I'm not convinced that um, it will be a good thing um, uh, because in the scheme of how the bad guys um, can, can use these tools um, to cause more harm. And if we just pivot back to then some of the announcements that were made um, during that week of that AI safety summit, I think you couldn't really switch on the news or look online without seeing something happening. There was the um, in the US, there was the Biden executive order, which um, outlined how the White House would like to approach AI and over a number of different areas, including like ethics, safety, security. And then we had the Bletchley Declaration, which actually happened during the summit. Um, what were your view of these announcements in terms of addressing some of the security risks? Um, do they do a good job of maybe like forging a path towards safe, secure AI? Yes, I think they really do. And I think that this was perhaps we've learned, I hope we've learned the lessons about how society um, emerged from the adoption of the internet. Um, we seem to have be re reflective on that and how some of the things that the internet does are absolutely phenomenal and life-changing. But some of the things that they do are quite is quite harmful. And I think that governments have got a difficult line to walk. Um, 
in respect of encouraging and enabling and not standing in the way of innovation, but also trying to protect society um, and make sure that we harness as many of the benefits as we can without falling foul to the risks. And one of those risks would be something like the disinformation that comes from um, deep fakes. And um, th there was there's a lot of press around the use of um, impersonation and how from a cybersecurity angle we may not be able to rely on what we class as identity in the same way that we have previously and i think that's a real challenge for cybersecurity leaders as um, as as ai becomes more commonplace how do you identify accessing your bank account or what does identity mean? I, I was at a banking forum in the summer and one of the banks was saying, well, perhaps we need to go back to opening branches again uh, and seeing our customers face to face rather than relying on a digital identity. And I think that's something that um, is a question that's being asked perhaps flippantly, um, but I think that AI will pose problems for those that don't have their identity access management strategy exactly where they want it. Yeah, I think, and like you said, it's it's, giving a lot of extra work to a community that is already, as we mentioned, um, uh, underskilled or understaffed as well. So stuff like that is, I guess, quite a troubling concern for a lot of the leaders that are part of your group. It, a final one on the, the summit then. Do you think it will actually bring about um, regulatory change related to the use and safe use of AI? I think so. And what I was really pleased to see was the way that the ethical questions around AI are being um, being talked about. Um, certainly one of our members within I4 is NIST. Um, and I'm, I know that NIST have got a, a great piece of work uh, ongoing, uh, as they always do, um, around looking at both the, um, the governance um, and the compliance regimes that AI will need to to meet. Um, it's difficult because we don't want to stand in the way of innovation and some of the progress is that uh, that AI will bring. But we if the adoption of the Internet has taught us anything, we need to be alive to the risks and the challenges more than we perhaps were 30 years ago. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a balancing act with everything, isn't it? You don't want to stifle innovation, but you want to make sure it's done in a secure um, and safe ethical um, way. Absolutely. And we can anticipate that it will be misused. And how do we identify that? Um, I'm particularly worried about the disinformation when it comes to um, we've seen in the recent conflicts and, and war in, in the Middle East, how quick the AI generated content was used to mobilize the masses and, and dissent on both sides. And I think that that will only grow. And we face a, a huge number of elections this year. Um, and so I could imagine that um, the the weaponization of AI is is the next step. So it's absolutely right that we have a kind of Geneva Convention around the use of AI and international standards setting. We must also prepare for those that will um, ignore those restrictions and that will um, use AI for their own ends. Yeah, it's interesting that you said about the elections. I, I heard a fact um, recently that next year will be the most democratic countries will be going to the polls than any other year since records began. So that twinned with what you were describing, deep fakes, um, the artificially intelligence generated um, in imagery as well. I think 
will be a huge issue next year and another new thing for cybersecurity professionals, but the society as a whole to kind of navigate for sure. Yeah, undoubtedly. And and to bring it back to a business context, uh, it's all about how misinformation can be used to damage brand and reputation. Um, so many businesses rely on their online reputation and their online scores and things like that. And if AI is being leveraged to um, by opposition, um, be it by competitors or be it by nation states, that's something we have to be alive to anticipate and have controls in place ready to thwart. Yeah, definitely. And just the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you about was um, later in this episode, my colleague will be speaking to the um, Open Worldwide Application Security Project, so OWASP, um, and they released a call to the attendees of the AI Safety Summit to rapidly pledge to agree and adopt actionable AI security standards. Um, they've also created a top 10 for LLMs um, listing some of the security issues and vulnerabilities. So they've been really active in this space. Um, I just wondered what your view of um, their efforts were. Applaudable and necessary to be succinct. Um, they, this is, it, it needs, it's a, the internet and AI are global tooled and they need to be dealt with and administered on a global level. And I would like to see more of that kind of um, standard bearing uh, activity. Well, I'm sure they'll be um, delighted to hear that support later on. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope um, you continue to have um, great conversations around this with your um, cybersecurity community in the I4 group. Beth, thank you very much for, uh, for listening and thank you very much for this opportunity. Well, great to hear from Matt there and um, I think some interesting um, points and I think he nicely tees up your um, interview with OWASP later. But um, Kevin, was there anything else that you thought was interesting to pick out from Matt's points? Well, he he definitely was uh, quite optimistic about the summit and about what's coming next. Uh, I think uh, that's, that's also nice to hear because uh, I feel like I've been... Uh, I've been on on Twitter on X uh, lately, and a lot of people were criticizing the summit for not being for being too high level, for for not really getting into the nitty gritty of of uh, of what it means to actually mitigate AI risks. So uh, that's nice to hear. That's always nice to hear. But uh, he, what, what you, so you mentioned uh, at the end of the of the interview, this OWASP uh, call for for actually uh, for the, the the summit attendees and for governments to promote and to support global standards. And that's something that will probably key, be key in the future to know, um, it, can we translate these high levels uh, pledges into uh, something that actually uh, is action- actionable and will um, will have an impact on on how we, how organizations, how our our audience uh, is gonna uh, deploy AI and 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 yeah, I think that's that's one of the key things because obviously we know that legislation is always behind behind technology, but maybe that's that's one time where we can make it right and and standards are are absolutely fundamental for this. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are looking back to the advent of the internet or the creation of social media and know and realizing from those experiences that regulation needs to 
speed up basically we can't wait to see what happens and then regulate backwards it doesn't it's not worked in those two areas so we've got loads of like regulatory pieces coming through so you've got the eu ai act around the corner um, obviously, as you mentioned, the two AI safety institutes, the executive orders, um, a lot of other things going on. And AI policy is a really big talking point. I guess the question is whether governments will in reality align their approaches or go it alone. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why it's interesting to see the US, the EU and the UK taking part of the same summit, while at the same time progressing in their own approaches to regulating AI. And I'd say watch the space in 2024. But that's exactly the issue uh, that OWASP, the OWASP Foundation wanted to address when they published an open letter that was, uh, it was actually published a day before the summit. Uh, this open letter was uh, to call for governments and cybersecurity agencies for a, an urgent alignment in supporting global standards for AI security so that we make sure we don't end up with a myriad of standards and everyone is just going their way and then companies are completely uh, lost. Some of the uh, existing standards that OWASP suggested uh, include their own, uh, especially the top 10 vulnerabilities for LLM applications. Uh, that has um, has been released uh, a few months ago, uh, but also the top ten for machine learning applications, which is a bit a, a bit older. Uh, but there's also uh, there there are also some standards that are either uh, been worked on or, or already um, launched. Uh, some of the EU, um, the Sentinelec, is working on standards on which the EU AI Act is going to be based. Uh, and also we know that uh, NIST is, is working on, on its own. Um, and it's in the letter, the OS Foundation uh, promoted something that uh, they want to make it a hub for discussing these standards. So this is called the OWASP AI Exchange. So that's a, a group of experts, of individual experts, uh, discussing, trying to come up with uh, new new standards or maybe align existing standards. Uh, this initiative was launched by uh, Rob van der Veer, who's a senior director of the Software Improvement Group. And he's a, he's a long-standing uh, member of, OWA, of the OWASP Foundation. And um, they're trying to make this, it was, at first it was just like a consultancy um, initiative. Now they want to make it the hub to foster collaborations in AI security standards alignment. So I spoke to Rob and I asked him to tell me a bit more about this AI exchange. Let's hear him now. Thanks, Rob, for joining us. Um, so today we're here to speak about OWASP AI Exchange. My first question is, why did you found the OWASP AI Exchange? Uh, when was it and, and what was the idea behind it? Yeah, so the work for the OWASP AI Exchange started, I think, two, three years ago with doing a lot of research in order to create a, a framework for, for AI security. Part of my work here at the Software Improvement Group. And I'm part of several standardization initiatives uh, about AI security primarily. Um, one of them is with Sensonelic um, for preparing for the uh, European AI Act regarding security. Uh, another one is um, ISO IEC 27090, which is on AI security. And we felt that uh, Creating such standards requires 
a multidisciplinary group of experts, a large group of experts, because there's so many sides to this. And also the field is, is evolving very, very fast. Um, and we were looking for a way to involve more experts. And when we looked at other standardization initiatives on, on this topic, we noticed that they were actually suffering from the same. So the things that were being produced uh, were having blind spots, were, not, uh, were from different perspectives. And we decided that it is necessary to create a way for experts around the world to collaborate on this topic. And that's why we created the uh, OWASP AI Exchange, because it's open source, it's independent, uh, it has a multimodal uh, approach where you can use a GitHub repository, which is very open sourcey, but also a Word document to provide your comments and to establish alignment and collect all these different views and this, this multidisciplinary input uh, in order to help standards to use that input uh, so that there is uh, consensus alignment and that a way to collect uh, the input from all these experts. When the OWAS Foundation published uh, its open letter calling for governments and, and, and attendees of the, the AI Safety Summit in, in England in, Ble in Bletchley Park to uh, support more AI security standards and, and align, uh, align standards, um, the letter was uh, referring to the, the OWASP uh, AI exchange. Is that uh, because you have the mission to be the hub for discussion around AI security standards? Yes, that, that is our mission. Uh, and we have no commercial incentive uh, in, in any way. It is there to, uh, to create this alignment that we feel is, is really necessary. And as standard makers, we can then uh, also benefit from that collected information. So yes, the letter talks about the AI exchange. It also talks about the uh, OWASP initiative called a large language model top 10. And there is a machine learning top 10. And uh, what's specific about these initiatives is that they're uh, relatively fast compared to other standard uh, uh, processes. And I think you need a combination of this sort of relatively fast grassroots OWASP-like um, uh, uh, sharing of knowledge uh, and these uh, standard standards that require more time to evolve but cannot be as detailed because of the quickly evolving field as the, as the OWASP standard can. So a hybrid approach where uh, people keep an eye open for each other's initiatives and align is, I think, essential. And did you get any response, uh, any feedback uh, uh, from uh, governments or maybe um, security, cybersecurity agencies or attendees of the summit uh, regarding your, your letter? Yes, I'm in sessions like this, talking to people uh, like you, you're interested in this initiative, working together almost every day. In what direction are you going? Are you already having uh, discussions about uh, aligning standards? Yes. So one uh, very practical way to do this is to do a gap analysis on what we have and what another standard has and look at those gaps and provide suggestions to each other, uh, which is a, a nice process to create that alignment. And that's that's happening for, for various uh, uh, standardization organizations uh, already. And there are people, experts from all around the world, uh, chiming in 
um, a professor from Spain, uh, uh, an Iranian woman uh, joining in uh, Brazil, the US, uh, and it's multidisciplinary. So it's it's really great to watch. And did you see that? Uh, does, uh, did you think, sorry, that the summit uh, addressed this problem of uh, of uh, trying to align standards? It's hard for me to tell. That needs to come from uh, debriefing with the people who uh, who joined the summit and the, the various sessions. So I did think I do think that the message uh, resonated, uh, also given the response that we have uh, we have received. And by talking to the various standardization organizations, they're really eager to find this alignment. And the problem is, is that because there's so many initiatives, if there are 20 initiatives and you're one of them, you need to align with 19 of them. So how are you going to do that? So by being being this hub, people welcome that uh, and see it as a sort of a nice, independent, uh, flexible and open way to 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 seek this alignment. And how do you actually align standards? Because actually, at the end of the of the summit, uh, both the US and the UK have uh, launched their AI Safety Institute. Um, the US one is tasked. Uh, if if you read the, the Joe Biden's executive order, um, the US one, which is uh, led by by NIST, is uh, tasked with uh, with coming up with uh, new standards for AI security. I feel like we see more organizations uh, dealing with this and not less. I feel like your your mission is to try to converge with maybe less organizations or or less uh, places to talk about this. So how do you work on that? So I do think that uh, initiatives uh, where people are mobilized and recruited and uh, putting together a team, I think that is necessary. Uh, But what's also necessary if, uh, if those teams go ahead, when they go ahead, is that they look outside of their own silo. Um, National standards have traditionally historically uh, the tendency to be siloed uh, in the sense that people are working really hard focusing on their own thing and it's a lot of work to look outside and see what's happening uh, also because of these you know, sort of let's call it the psychological effect of not invented here uh, so what's really helpful if you have people working on these standards that have a very, have a very open mind and really want to uh, achieve this this alignment so national standards can be harmful in that sense, uh, but not if people are working on them with uh, alignment as one of the important directives. So you um, personally have background with ISO and uh, Sentinel-X. Uh, are you working with NIST, for example, to on on stand on aligning standards? Yes. We're working closely with uh, NIST. For example, we're reviewing uh, early drafts of their work seeking this alignment um, and we're very happy that we are we are in that position so is the work that is done in europe with the eu ai act is it can it can it be the basis for tomorrow's uh standards in in uh, ai security because this is the only legislation that is uh going to come out and and be based on on actual standards uh, as far as i know Yes, I, I think so. But again, here it's the same thing. Uh, keeping an eye open to what everybody else is doing and seeking this alignment, if only uh, for terminology, right? 
so that there's uh, so that you minimize the, the confusion in the field. That's an important prerequisite. Um, but there is the Brussels effect. Sometimes it's called that, where uh, regulation from Europe has a, a sort of a, an inspiring effect. Uh, the, the GDPR, you could argue that the GDPR has had this uh, this effect and sort of yeah uh, sets a, a benchmark or inspires other standard makers to build upon that. And I expect the AI Act to have a similar role. And given uh, your experience in, in standardization uh, bodies, what are the common mistakes that we need to avoid if we want to come up with um, actionable standards and, and legislations around AI security? So mistakes, pitfalls you mean, right? When, when trying to uh, come up with something actionable so there's a there's a mismatch between the tempo in which the field uh, of AI security and the field of AI is evolving and the tempo in which you can put international standards out. For example, there's the ISO 5338 that uh, I'm the lead author of, uh, and we worked three years on it, uh, and it's coming out now. So it's, the next iterations will be quicker, but just to illustrate that there's a there's a there's a delay. So we need to find a way to establish the duty of care without relying solely on uh, on international standards, which means that international standards, of course, do need to cover all the topics and do need to be um, not too specific because it will be outdated quickly, uh, but not, not too abstract because that's unclear. So you need to strike that right balance and then make sure that there's uh, a further alignment in the industry. Um, when it comes to AI security. And when you look at uh, security in general uh, or software security, there are so many standards out there uh, that um, alignment is also a problem there, which is why I've started OpenCRE a couple of years ago with a team which tries to link all these standards together to achieve uh, to achieve this disalignment. And it's there's no real functional reason why we need so many security standards. It, it's for historic reasons, economical reasons, psychological reasons uh, that we have so many. And yeah, it's something that we need to prevent uh, for, 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 for AI by seeking more alignment and having um, bodies of work that represent the state of the art and are, are detailed. And I think that well, through initiatives like the OS initiative, this can be achieved. And today, how many uh, members or, or, or member organizations do you have uh, at the OWASP AI exchange? And what's your what's your message? Uh, how do you join your organization or your, your, your hub? So our model is based on uh, individual experts. For a reason, so we have people from uh, IBM and from universities, and they they represent uh, their their own expertise. So it's not that companies or, or or standard bodies become a member. It's just that just like an open source, you report, uh, hey, I want I have a contribution here. There you go, and then we re review the contribution and make it part of it, and we credit the people that provide the contribution. Um, and we, uh, if people contribute a lot and frequently, we make them part of the, the writing team. And this is a sort of a typical open source software and open source document uh, document approach. And we have, we have a whole variety of people that uh, that uh, that help. 
So, so what's your your call to action today in in at the end of uh, of 2023 for the OWASP AI exchange? Thank you for this question. Um, well, the OWASP AI, AI exchange is to exchange knowledge, and for that we need people with that knowledge, experts. Uh, so, if you really know about AI security, it doesn't have to be the entire topic, but it can be a specific topic, a specific example of how you defend. Uh, neural networks against specific adversarial attacks, please join uh, and make a difference by providing your contributions to the OWASP AI exchange to be found at owaspai.org. It's very easy to contribute, see the instructions, review, things are clearly marked where we need more information. We need your help to, uh, yeah, to continue making this better. Thanks. Great insights from um, Rob there. I think it's so important that they have no commercial alignment, um, which is really, everyone knows that there's going to be commercial interest in um, regulating if you have the um, big companies that are making AI products involved. So I think having them as a driving voice with that without that pressure is really good um, and he also said that overall like the message is resonating um, with what they're saying um, but there are a lot of initiatives so it'll be interesting to see as we said like kind of throughout this podcast episode how is everything going to align or are people just going to go their separate ways mm. yeah and 2024 is probably going to be a key year for this because obviously the eu ai act is uh, is coming out uh you we 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 saw um uh, an information uh, that really uh, that really caught my attention is that 2024 is also going to be uh, one of the the years where there's so many um elections going on so disinformation and misinformation is going to be key uh, so we will see like how what the approach uh, the approach is uh, government take towards responsible AI, both in the in, in privacy, uh, data protection and security um, uh, side of things, but also uh, on the disinformation and misinformation uh, side of things. Yeah, of course, one, one of the main things AI is being used for is that disinformation and misinformation. And I predict in 12 months time, we'll be sat down talking about um, the lessons that have been learned from a lot of these election campaigns. I think it's, I think the the stat is 2024 will be the year that the most democracies in the world go to the polls since record began. So with that going on, AI being a part of those processes as well, I think we'll be having a lot of conversations about that. And it'll be interesting to see whether these regulations and initiatives will have kind of caught up with the advancement of technology. As I said as well, 2024 will be the year of more AI summits. So there's a mini summit hosted by SelfCreate in six months time. Um, this is going to be a virtual event. And then in France in 2024, there will be another um, in-person event for leaders and governments and industry. So it'd be interesting to see who attends that one. Will we get the high level um, people attending or will it be a different um, delegation of visitors? Um, but do keep following InfoSecurity magazine as we will be covering how this progresses in the AI world and how that affects cybersecurity professionals in particular. But thanks, Kevin, for um, bringing us your highlights and your conversation with Rob. Thank you very much to Matt from KPMG as well for joining me. 
Um, with that, one final thanks to our sponsor, Sophos. So do see how much you can save with Sophos MDR by visiting sophos.com forward slash MDR today. That's S-O-P-H-O-S dot com forward slash MDR. Thanks, Kevin. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Info Security Magazine podcast. For in-depth interviews with the industry's leading experts, check out our sister podcast where we sit down with a cybersecurity expert to discuss the hottest topics of the day and their personal journey into cybersecurity. And of course, for more news, analysis and expert insight, head to the Info Security Magazine website at infosecurity-magazine.com. Dot com.